Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Today, this episode is going to be a little different than most of our episodes because this is the 100th episode of the Arthritis Life podcast. My mom gets the award for listening to every single one. (laughs) Yes, and I have my mom and dad here with me today, and we're going to be walking down memory lane, some happy memories, some not so happy memories of my initial diagnosis journey which happens to be this summer exactly 20 years ago also, which is amazing. amazing. And we, I finally figured this out. I kept saying I was diagnosed at age 20, but it was actually 21. I was already 21 in 2003. I got diagnosed right before my 20 or uh, my 22nd birthday. Right. So yes, (laughs) for some reason I kept thinking anyway, because I was, um, it was so close to my birthday. I had gotten confused. So today we're going to talk about, um, we're going to t- go into that story, but first, I'll start with just the question I ask everyone in the beginning is just, um, can you tell me really quickly where you live and what is your relationship, well, your name, okay. <laughs> and what is where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Uh, my name is Peggy Crow, and I am Cheryl's mom, <laughs> and uh, my relationship to arthritis is through Cheryl, uh, so... I guess that's all I'll say for now. When when I first, or I, I should add, when Cheryl was first diagnosed, I had the same reaction that many, many people do. I just thought, oh, good. Oh, phew. It's just arthritis, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, because we had spent years and years trying to figure out what was wrong. And like like so many of your listeners, I'm sure, have done. And um, and so my relationship to arthritis has... has um, broadened as, as we've yeah. learned about what Cheryl's experiencing. Yeah. Uh, uh, my name is Guy Crow. I'm Cheryl's loving father. <laughs> and uh, 
She's an awesome, awesome daughter. And we've had a wonderful life together. Um, I'm Peggy's husband, of course. Okay, I gotta admit, when I first heard that um, Cheryl had arthritis, I thought, wow, well, you know, uh, things could be worse. Uh, uh, she could have cancer and, she, uh, and a lot of other things. But uh, to be quite honest, I did not understand uh, that she had the difference between normal or just regular arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. I had no clue. And uh, my loving wife knew that <laughs> and, <laughs> and did, not, did not inform me how bad, uh, how serious Cheryl's ailment was. And so I was happily going along and thinking, oh, good, well, Cheryl's going to be fine. She's going to outgrow this little arthritis thing and everything's going to be wonderful. Um, it sounds like mom didn't quite know all no, the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we've, uh, it's been a real journey and, uh, and not a particularly pleasant one. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and I appreciate you both um, taking the time to chat today. We brought, I brought my emotional support dog, Teddy, <laughs> who's trying to insert himself into the conversation here, which is probably, it's a kind of audio recording 101 is not to include your animals, but I couldn't no, help it. But, no, he's, but, he's yeah. too cute. But yeah, that is, it. it I think um, a lot of people listening who have had that experience of people saying, oh, it's just arthritis, it's can feel very minimizing. Yep. But at the same time, when you first get diagnosed, if you don't know any better, that's kind of what everyone thinks, you right. know? Mm-hmm. So I totally get that. And and yeah, I mean, I've talked so many times about what a relief it was when I got diagnosed. And we're going to go uh, into that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're but, that and, but part of that relief was because I didn't realize how serious it was either. So we were all a little bit, the blind leading the blind, as they say. But um, so just to go back and, and go a little bit chronologically, so... Um, you know, I was, you guys can both attest, a fairly healthy child. I mean, other than oh. a lot of ear infections, right? right. <laughs> very healthy. Very healthy. And very athletic and yeah. active. And yeah. And led a, a very um, enviable lifestyle. You never drank. You never smoked. You didn't do drugs or mm-hmm. you didn't have time. You were always <laughs> doing athletics. And, and uh, so... That's important to note as well. Um, yeah. 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 It definitely felt like I kind of quote unquote did all the right things. You did. And then suddenly yeah. out of nowhere, my body started breaking down and we were yeah. like, what is going on? Right. right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it isn't caused rheumatoid arthritis as we know now, it's not necessarily caused by any one lifestyle factor, but you are more likely to have it if you are a smoker actually. Oh, but um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, basically, as I've said in the podcast before, but people might be listening for the first time, I, you know, was, I, I uh, graduated high school in the year 2000 um, and went off to New York from the Seattle area. So I went quite far away for school and, but didn't really feel too nervous about that um, at the time and joined the soccer team, joined the track and field team. This is again, continuing the super active, vibrant lifestyle. And then I just started feeling like my stomach stopped working, you know, around my sophomore year. It was like the weirdest thing. I just would, you know, it's do this, eat the same things, do the same things I was doing. And all of a sudden I, I could know, I was noticing I was like, 
feeling weaker, losing weight. Um, and it was, it started s slow at first, right? It wasn't like one day I could eat a full meal and the next day I couldn't. But yeah. within a year's time, I was really not able to eat very much. Um, yeah. And so we started, of course, going to the gastroenterologist. You wouldn't think this is like on the list of symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of autoimmune diseases, but it's normally accompanied by a lot of joint pain, which I was not having at the right. time. So off we went to the gastroenterologist, mm -hmm. just thinking maybe I had something in my stomach. They even evaluated me. Do you remember when they looked for if there was a hairball? <laughs> One of the first procedures I had done was because early satiety, or satiety, whatever, however you pronounce it, when you get full really quickly when you're yeah. eating, can be caused by a, something called a bolus in the stomach. And it can be caused by a human or animal hairball yeah. in the human stomach. It can happen if people, um, there's like mental illnesses where people eat their hair, um, but there's also mm -hmm. people who just accidentally, you know, swallow yeah. hair from their pet or from themselves. And so when they wow. did the endoscopy, that was actually one I of the things they were that. looking wow. to find. And then we did the barium swallow and all that. Um, and then we kind of got some interesting conversations that I've referenced before with the gastroenterologist um, where he kind of implied that, well, these tests don't really show anything yeah. is going on. So she must be, what, what, did, what did he tell you? Do you remember? Uh, well, uh, many things, uh, all of which were really, really revealed uh, a bias on his part. Um, and um, um. he said, um, among other things, he said that the problem, he looked at me and he looked at you and he pointed at each of us and he said, the problem is between you two. Um, your relationship is bringing this on. And, you know, when a doctor says something like that, anything like that to you, you can't help but think, okay, he's a doctor. I, you know, what's going on? Maybe I'm crazy or, or you know, maybe there is something to that, but I know there isn't. And um, mm -hmm. he was very judgmental, even at the point that, I don't know if this is going out of order, but even at the point that you finally got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and we returned to him because you still did have gastro issues. Paresis, yeah. Um, he's, he said, oh, I don't believe that. It's not rheumatoid arthritis. Are you sure it's not lupus? And it was it, his, his predisposed uh, mind, his mind had been made up and, um, it's only in hindsight that I realized how inappropriate that was, you yeah. know, um, but there it is. I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's so, I, I've mentioned so many times about how unusually happy my childhood was, how unusually strong my attachment, you know, was parental attachment and just, you know, people talk about attachment styles and all that. And mm -hmm. I often joke that like, it was like growing up in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You know, our family is a very happy family. Obviously, no one's perfect, but um, but to to insinuate that there's some problem between us, yeah, that was so bizarre and out of left field. I think what he was trying to say was that we were quote unquote like too close. Yeah, that a 20 year old shouldn't be bringing yeah. their mom to an appointment. Yeah, yeah, and and I remember it was right along those times when. They were starting to come out with those milk cartons that had missing children on them, and there was a there was a time it was a time it kind of things that I had not worried about when you guys were tiny. I thought, oh, you know, I better go with my kids to their doctor appointments, even when they get older, because you never know, you know, what 
kind of crazy stuff might be going on with that doctor. And oh, I, I didn't I, yeah, that. I think I was. And when you went to the chiropractor, I went with you because I was, I, I just, my imagination went crazy thinking, you know, maybe that doctor's some kind of predator. Yeah. There and, are them out. I mean, that's yeah. what's happened with, I know the chiropractors when I hurt my knee with soccer, but yeah. That's there are definitely yeah. providers who've abused young girls, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. And and yet at the same time, I had hundred percent confidence in you. It wasn't yeah. any reflection on you. Uh, oh, yeah. I just thought, no, an extra extra body in there isn't a bad thing. That doctor did not agree with that. Um, well, and you know, yeah. I think there were some cultural issues too, possibly. Anyway. Yeah, I think that the way that that particular doctor viewed women was yeah. kind of unfortunately a symptom of what a lot of how a lot of women are treated in the healthcare system, you yeah. know, across countries. Right. Um, <laughs> that you know, women's pain is not taken as seriously. Right. And um, yeah, I I remember just thinking it was a no brainer for me if you were willing to come with me to the appointment. First of all, I'm still on your insurance. Right. So you're and I'm still financially dependent on you yeah. both at that point. You know, you're great i'm so grateful that you paid my way through college and i was you know it wasn't like i was a completely independent adult mm -hmm. and that's one of the dimensions of this diagnosis story that i hope is maybe interesting to some people because i think there's kind of the realm of juvenile arthritis where right. you have kids that are diagnosed at you know age three or four right. and then the parents are obviously heavily involved and then you get fully formed adults you know that are like yeah. 35 and had a baby and then their body you know, yeah. wigged out and developed rheumatoid arthritis and they go through their story. But for me, I'm in that liminal period that yeah. in between, I'm not a child anymore, but I'm also not a totally independent adult. I had never navigated the healthcare system other than annual physicals just yeah. that were required for my sports, you know? Yeah, so, right. or right. just, I mean, I did have some ear infections. I didn't have throat inflammation. I got that uh, Coxsackie virus right. in high school which I had a lot of throat inflammation after that. And they did start me on uh, Prilosec. So I should say, I guess I had one diagnosis uh, yeah, for acid reflux yeah. and just throat irritation. Um, but that was, it was really not like I had grown up being, feeling yeah. like I was no. a chronically ill person or, oh, no, you know, no. not at all. So, um, so, so yeah, it was weird because it felt like, Okay, well, we're going, like, Cheryl, something's wrong with her stomach, obviously. Like, there's a before and there's a now. Yeah. Before I ate whatever, I worked yeah. out, I had my life, I, my body digested the food. And now there's a now, which is my body's not digesting the food. Right. It's just, I kept saying it felt like when I was eating, felt like there was a bowling ball, like, in my stomach and just nothing was going through. And he's just kind of like, we did these tests and... yeah you're fine, like you're just anxious or yeah. um, you're hypochondriac. And then he finally did a gastric emptying scan. And so this is all gonna lead to rheumatoid arthritis, believe it or not, but the gastric yeah. emptying scan di uh, diagnosed gastroparesis, which is a disorder of the autonomic nervous system. And that's the part of your nervous system that's like, does the things that you don't think about, like breathing, heart rate, stuff like that. And it also is like when you swallow food, that's under your control when you first swallow. You're like, I'm deciding to swallow. And then once you swallow, it's your autonomic nervous system that does those contractions that move the food down. And they're like little electrical contractions. And in my case, I remember specifically, they said it was five times slower right. than an average person. And they said that it's normally, there's only two co known causes of it. It's either a long-term uncontrolled diabetes, which I did not have, or a result of like um, serious long-term eating disorder, like bulimia or something right. where you're 
you've kind of put your system through a lot and it shuts down and the rest of the cases are just idiopathic. So I do think, I don't remember if anyone out, like they never told me they thought I had an eating disorder, but I do know that that was something that like, yeah. I mean, you watch somebody who's like a type A person go from like 130 pounds to 104 pounds. It can't help cross your mind yeah. that maybe there's yeah. an eating disorder, but you guys always believed me. Oh. Yeah, right? I, I, I we, we always, I, I'll, give, I'll give you dad a lot of credit because while he was working this whole time, more than yeah. full time, running a business, um, and I was essentially a stay-at-home mom, I was immersed in the day-to-day -day trying to figure out stuff. Um, and it's easy to get, it's easy to get overwhelmed with that as a parent, because you want nothing more, you know, the most important thing is for your child to be okay. Yeah. And there were times when I, you know, if, if enough people say to you, not that people literally said to me, maybe she has an eating disorder, but people would suggest things have, having related to anxiety and so mm. forth. And and at one point, I just thought, I, I don't know what's going on. And, and your dad said, I know Cheryl. Yeah. It's yeah. emotional for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, me well, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I had zero... Um, doubt that she had you know any kind of eating disorder uh the, i mean i saw her <laughs> you know we we did things together she didn't you know she she ate like a normal person she did everything like a normal person and that's what just um you know when we went through all these iterations of trying to find out what's wrong with her, I mean, I just thought to myself, my God, Cheryl, of all people who's uh, lived a life, uh, a dream life of, of goodness, of not, you know, not uh, doing drugs, not no self-destructing of all, uh, of all, and to, to have these kind of problems and being this young and I just thought there's <laughs> you know we got to get to the bottom yeah. of it I mean that was I just I don't care what it takes yeah but mm -hmm. this is not something's not right and I know it's not a, I could tell you right off the bat it's not an eating disorder uh it's not I mean I mean Cheryl has been I will admit very close to her mom and dad uh, she's that's very, true <laughs> she, she's she I remember as a young girl uh, even in fourth grade um, we'd tell Cheryl and our other children that we were we were going to go skiing that day uh, the, on the Monday we always oh, right. we, oh yeah I, I worked on a Saturday and, and through um, Tuesday and so we had Sunday and Mondays off and we'd tell the um, tell the kids that we're going to go skiing and Cheryl I could just tell she really didn't want us to go skiing she was kind of afraid that we might get hurt and <laughs> and uh, uh, the other two kids could that? could care less <laughs> I remember I I do think that 
uh, you know, with all the therapy I've done for anxiety now, I can look back and see yeah. some of the signs of maybe a bit of like I was just very, very safety aware and yeah. very well, and that obviously that's the problem with anxiety. Anxiety is very helpful and adaptive in right, many cases, right. right? Like anxiety about maybe I should put my seatbelt on in the car <laughs> is obviously helpful, yeah. right? But if it's so, we, who gets to decide where we draw the line? But if, I don't know. Cheryl was always the most hyper aware yeah. of everything around her, yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it just so it didn't it did not surprise me. Mm-hmm. That she would be, get a little anxious when uh, you know we do something like that because she just she's always thought ahead. Yeah, and, and, and to relate it to the you know physical health issues, it felt so frustrating to me to be kind of have multiple doctors insinuate that I was just anxious because I'm like yeah. I literally had I had anxieties about various things like about I, I, my, my um, nickname on the soccer team was mom because I was always, <laughs> I watched those those educational videos in middle school and high school worked on me where they'd say, you know, people who drink too much alcohol can like throw, die of their own choking on their vomit. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't go home until all I knew everyone on the team was safe, you know, things like that. That's what I was anxious about. Yeah. I wasn't anxious about my health. Like most no, people no, who are 19, no. 20, yeah. I just yeah. took my health for granted. Like obviously like, you know, I eat well, I exercise, I'm going to be fine. Like, yeah. it's that false premise that a lot right, of people yeah. operate on. Like, so what felt frustrating is to be like, this is, if this is a chicken or egg problem, clearly yeah. the ch- the first one, I guess we don't know if it's chicken or egg, the <laughs> first thing that happened was my health issues happened, and then I got anxious about them. Yes. It yeah. was not yeah. like that I was anxious. I, I never spent a second of my life considering, am I going to digest my food today? Yeah. Like, am I, it's right. like just, it right. just, my body yeah. just does it. And so that was what was so frustrating. And we ended up, put, so back to you, but yeah. that you said, you know, both of you said that you were like, you got to the point where, yeah, you had to consider all possibilities, right. but you definitely trusted it. Like, I would tell you, like, I wish, when I went and I studied abroad in Australia in 2003, the year I got diagnosed, right. I studied in Australia from January to March or April, and I wasn't feeling good, but we kind of had these discussions beforehand. I mean, I'm going to either feel crappy in New York or feel crappy in Australia, but I've, oh, it's like been a lifelong dream to, yeah. to study abroad. So, um If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up, I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. 
If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group, where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through. People who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. But when it came, it was either, we can't remember because we don't have all the records, but it was either right before I went to Australia or right when I got back that you hired the concierge doctor. Right, right. And that was like, that was a really good idea. In retrospect, obviously. Uh, it was, it a very was the new, only thing It was a could... new, new concept yes, back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it was happened to be our regular, well, I don't want to identify anybody, but oh, but yeah. it was with within the, the clinic that we were already going to and some of the people um, left to join the concierge portion of that same uh overall System. umbrella mm-hmm. and so it was a, a fairly seamless transition you yeah know. it was and, and i've mentioned before just it's so we had the financial privilege to yeah. be able to do that but oh, it wasn't absolutely. just like that you had endless money so you had to decide yeah. like we just we just joined for you we we could have joined as a family but mm-hmm. frankly nobody else really needed it and it, it was you know more economical just to go one person at a time mm-hmm. and um and even that took a little while. It, it wasn't a magic, you know, yeah. immediate uh, diagnosis. No, it wasn't like Doctor House. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh my. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but was she? And she, the first thing she said to me was this: was she? She's one conversation I remember specifically where I had. I wanted to be a good little patient, you know, right. and I brought her because, again, I had this diagnosis now of gastroparesis, but something else was wrong. I had this sprained finger, and I didn't know what it was. Oh, I had this sprained finger, which yeah. was so low on my priority list <laughs> that it didn't even make yeah. it into any of the appointments, but yeah. until all my joints started hurting. So I had this one joint, the finger. Um and then, and I, you know, told her, look, I got this diagnosis of gastroparesis. There's not that much you can do for it anyway, but I'm doing yeah. the gastroparesis diet. I'm taking the random stuff that the gastroenterologist said. And like, it's still not like, I'm just wasting away. You know, my, yeah. my muscles were going away and, um, and you know, I brought her a little food diary. I mean, I don't like thinking about food that much. Honestly, I just want to yeah. just, I like baking and eating like, you know, sweets and sugary <laughs> food and stuff. But I don't want to, I've never been the kind of person that's been like, oh, I want to like yeah. go on a vegan diet or go on. I just yeah. been like, it's, it's Keep exhausting it to me. So I, but I guess the way I presented to her was like, she literally just said, now, what do you think it means that you kept this journal? Yeah. Remember that? She was like, what do you think yeah. it means? And I was like, uh, 
it means that like I care about my health and I'm trying to feel better. Like I wish that that's what I had said. That's what I felt. Yeah. But I was like, I don't know. And she's like, I think it means that you're like hyper fixating on your health. So she first yeah. went down the road of health anxiety too. Wow. The, the, the concierge doctor and the, and she prescribed me um, Lexapro. And at that point I was like, you know what? Yeah, I am pretty freaking anxious, people, yeah. because no one is figuring out my health yeah. issues. Yeah. But right. I was so I had started to legitimately develop. It's like this tragic yeah. thing where I had started to develop panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that is legitimately, yeah. you know, anxiety disorder territory. But it felt again so frustrating because I was like, I never had panic attacks before this started yeah. happening. Yeah. 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 So and, yeah, and you know. Uh, I I think it was a matter of maybe three months or so. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. an extended amount of time until she put the pieces together. Thank you know, based on um, thanks to your input, mm-hmm. and uh, at that point it became really really helpful to be part of the concierge because she put you literally that day to oh. her the rheumatologist she referred you to, wow. and they had uh, it, they had. You know, they they prescribed the methotrexate right away. I mean, it was yeah. like, you know, right away. And then I think it was maybe a month later or two. My first reaction, however, was, I don't know if this is out of order. Well, let's just, yeah. just really, yeah. for the record, yeah. I have said this before, but again, some people might just be listening to this episode, that I did wake up one morning yeah. in July of 2003, it was either late June or early July, with every, every yeah. single joint hurting. So yeah. it wasn't just the sprained finger. And... I was like, okay, this is new. This yeah. is a new symptom. And um, yeah, I had, uh, I, we reported that to yeah. the concierge doctor. And that's when she was like, and what I remember specifically what frustrated me is that previously I had been told by her and the gastroenterologist, well, we ran all the blood work and everything's yeah. normal. Well, and they then didn't she's run like, that blood work. yeah. So then I came, she's like, well, okay, I'm going to run more blood work. I was like, well, then why did you tell me before you yeah. ran all the blood work? Yeah. You didn't run all the blood work yeah. if there was more blood work to be run. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But okay, I'm the anxious one. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, yeah. I feel defensive about that. Yeah. But, but so, well, you so then, be. And you but should that be. is, it is for the record bilateral inflammation and pain of the small joints of the fingers and toes. That is the cardinal symptom of rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. So it's not necessarily, it's, it's hard to say whether they should have been able to put the pieces together earlier. What I just wish what had not happened is that they had made the conclusion that I must be just yes. over anxious. Yeah. Without ruling everything else out. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just breaks my heart thinking of all the people out there that are probably still being told yeah. that, that may have an autoimmune disorder or something else. But I mean, obviously, autoimmune disorders are just notoriously hard to um, to figure out for, for yeah. many, many people. I really think the default, yeah, and that's part of why I do share these patient stories on the podcast. Yeah. And, um, you know, the default state should be to believe patients, yeah. you know, and yes. to say, yeah, sure. If you're feeling a lot of, you know, discomfort, I was feeling a lot of pain. It wasn't joint pain. I was feeling stomach pain all the yeah. time. If you're feeling discomfort, if you're feeling, you know, like scared about yeah. the fact that you don't have any answers, that's a normal human response. Yes. Like let's give people, yeah. if they had presented that to me, like I want you to try these anxiety meds and like maybe go to therapy because this is a lot for you to go through right now. Right. That's that would different. have been a lot different than saying, I think 
nothing's wrong with yeah, you. That's, that's the gaslighting. Nothing's yeah. wrong with you because we did the tests and nothing's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. You didn't do all the tests, first yeah. of all. Right, right. You know? And so... Yeah, that's a really important distinction. But yeah, so then we got... So I, so all my joints were hurting and we're like, okay, yeah, this is weird. And then yeah. doctor, uh, the doctor at the time... Did the blood work. Yeah. And all I remember from that conversation, when she told me she thought it was rheumatoid arthritis and she's going to send me to the rheumatologist. rheumatologist when I'm like, yeah. what's that word? Who would, who to what a dist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing. Yeah. But I was like, I remember thinking her face is really serious. Like, yeah. why is she acting like this is such a big deal? Yeah. Because, and it wasn't just that I thought arthritis wasn't a big deal. It was that I'm like, do you understand you're telling me I was right this whole yeah. time? Like, yeah. do you, where, where is this, where is the moment when I get to say I was right? Yeah. You know, I was like, why are you so, ups- why are you looking like this is such a sad thing? Yeah. Like, I, me being like a know-it-all, I'm like, ha, <laughs> I told you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what were you guys feeling at that moment when we finally oh. had an answer? Oh, well, my God. Uh, you know, oh, you want to go? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Finally, uh, and after so long uh, of all these appointments and all this kind of up and down that Cheryl had to go through of going to see these people and thinking that they're really going to help you. And then, you know, they come up with things that we know, I mean, we literally, literally know just aren't true um, or aren't really the source. Getting the source of this mm-hmm. thing and to find a source to say oh okay well now we could work on it now we we could understand it and of course i, yeah. I don't think either one of us no i didn't i remember the nurse who showed you how to inject yourself at the point that you had Enbril, she said, I, I was like, can't we just put this off? She's going to be a captain of her soccer team. You know, it's her <laughs> senior year. This stuff has side effects. Oh, yuck. You know, it's just arthritis. I mean, I, I'm ashamed to say now how oh, ignorant I, mean- I was. And and she looked at me and she said, there are people that, that be, prior to this medicine being available, they couldn't walk. And they took this medicine and they, they got up and walked out of bed and so, you know, it's it's a huge step forward to be able to take this and don't don't wait a year, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember I don't remember that conversation. I just remember being like I felt like I was just um desperate to just yeah. take anything. Like literally inject me with whatever. <laughs> like I had a phobia, I have claustrophobia and clytrophobia which is fear of being trapped, but I never had a needle phobia. So I was yeah. just like, sure, here, arms, legs, <laughs> wherever. Put it in me, get me better, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but I, um, the, I don't remember the conversations. Or I think you remember. I remember you said that you asked them. You said, "Can she wait a year?" And they said, also that there's people where they're at the this the blood work and the the numbers yeah. that I had of my inflammation. Yeah. They said if we in one year she could be in a wheelchair, right? You yeah. know, and that's yeah. and not and this I've said on the record many times that being yeah. in a wheelchair is not the worst right. fate that you no, can no, have no. by any means. No. It's just you have an option in the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's not going to get, I mean, I think the the deal is it, uh, it's not going to get any better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, this diagnosis yeah. is, is a serious one. And uh, the sooner the better. Yeah. And, uh, and, and thank God there was yeah. something they could do. I mean, yeah. I, I just 
Oh, yeah, scares she, me to she, think. She it. said if there was ever a good time to get it, it would be now that these biologics are yeah. available. Yes. And, yeah. and, and, and I've heard you mention this on your podcast several times. Um, you know, people tend to focus, I don't know why, on the side effects rather than yeah. the, 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 the reality if you don't take anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not benign, you know, and so... Um, I, yeah. yeah, and they also don't, they have to weigh the side effects versus the benefits of the medication yeah. Yeah. if it works as intended, you know, right. and and so we were very lucky yeah. that I went. So it's hard, it's a confounding variable that I started the anxiety meds a couple of months right. before because now we know there's like a axis between the gut and the brain right. and that anxiety like a lot of your serotonin, which I was on an SSRI, a lot of your serotonin is processed in your gut. But yeah. between the treatment for rheumatoid arthritis and the treatment for the anxiety, I completely, ever, I mean, you wouldn't expect, sorry, you wouldn't expect that the anxiety meds would help my rheumatoid arthritis, you would, but you would expect they would help my stomach. Now right. now there's a known yeah. relationship between those. But, but so between getting the arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis flare up under control, and the anxiety meds, I put all the weight I had lost back on. Yeah. And I was like, woohoo, like <laughs> I got my life back, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Into- oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you were, you were, what What I was told was that your numbers, your rheumatoid factor and your blood were so high that they didn't even chart that high. Yeah. So we don't even know how high they were. Yeah. They were literally off the charts. Yeah, off the charts, <laughs> how they measure it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, it's such a double-edged sword, right? Because then we're feeling like we have this relief and this direction to go. Yeah. Yeah. But then also, oh, wait, this, this is, is an autoimmune risk. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. We were just talking about that you felt, Dad, that like n- there was not going to be any more this malarkey, meaning of the doctors insinuating that I must be making it up. Uh, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I lost my faith in doctors uh, quite a bit. Uh, I... I just kept, you know, hearing these things. Uh, yeah. When Cheryl would, when yeah. you'd tell me you yeah. took Cheryl here, they said this, and I said, "Whoa, uh, yeah. this this is not not right at all." Yeah. And uh, fortunately, we had the wherewithal, and you had the the time. Yeah. And and Cheryl would was willing to just keep at it yeah. just don't stop because it's just not right it's not mm-hmm. right to have a 21 year old a 22 year old that is you know, losing the kind of weight you, you were losing and and uh something is drastically wrong yeah mm-hmm. and it, we got to find out what it is yeah. and uh we did, and thank God, <laughs> thank God that you know that we did what yeah. we did, and yeah. had the wherewithal to do it, and mm-hmm. and at least we got a, uh, a diagnosis, and now we could get on with trying to live yeah. live with and what the, you know. We live in an area of the world <clears throat> oh, that boy. has excellent medical care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, really excellent access, I should say, to medical care. I, I just feel for the people that have to drive. Hours yeah, and hours, yeah. or maybe even fly if they're in really remote yeah. areas. It's it just requires so much time and energy uh, in yeah. most cases, and access to insurance. Yeah. I mean, oh so boy. Many oh boy. So many things, and um, just for the record, for people who might want 
to understand how weight loss is related to rheumatoid arthritis. So yes, I did have gastroparesis, which can cause weight loss, but also uncontrolled rheumatoid arthritis causes something called rheumatoid cachexia or cachexia, however you want to pronounce it. And that is a direct result of rheumatoid arthritis, like inflammation affecting the muscles. So it it causes muscle wasting. So that's what I experienced. Yeah. Yeah. You kept saying you're so weak. I just was so bizarre. I still can't quite even believe this all happened to me. And I think what's was so such a mind shift for us all to go through is, yeah, I think, you know, in our family, we tend to be like, I don't, maybe, maybe this is more me, but kind of trusting of professionals, right? You hire a professional (laughs) and they do their professional job. Like, so, and I'm not saying the doctors were like failing utterly, like it's, no one is perfect, you know, but it was such a bizarre, I I would never think, I would never be like, well, they must be wrong because like they're the doctor. Yeah. It was just such, but I'm like, but I knew that something was wrong. So it was such a, it was like impossible to hold these two different ideas at the same time that I know my body. I know this didn't come out of nowhere. And then they're saying, yeah, they're the expert and they're saying nothing's wrong. We did your blood work. Nothing's wrong. (laughs) So it must be in your head. And it's like, okay, but I know it's like, and now we know to advocate. We know to get second opinions. It's like, we didn't have that experience to know that. If it hadn't been the the concierge, you know, it wasn't even like you looked out for a concierge doctor it was more that the doctor left yeah. for to become a concierge i yeah. mean and, yeah. and oh for those who don't know concierge is kind of like it's like a you pay more it, this is a thing in the united states and then they're kind of available right quickly for you like 24 7 right it depends on the about, and, and and you know the 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 doctor who left to be to go to concierge that you, you followed mm-hmm. um she wrote, wrote a really, really um, well-written letter explaining why she was doing it. She said, you know, I went to medical school. My goal is to practice good medicine. And I can't do that when I have 2,000 patients. And if I go to concierge, I, I don't remember the yes, numbers, but yeah. something like this, then I'll only have 200 patients and I can, pra- you know. So I can see why doctors would go to that, but it is obviously excluding a lot of people that can't pay for it. So yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, 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 we're just very, lucky in it um I, i'm gonna ask you for your best advice for maybe other parents right now going through this period but first the diagnosis <coughs> yeah. saga I, one of the things i wanted to ask you mom is um back to that initial after the diagnosis when they started telling us about the treatments right and you you told me before we started recording that um that it was a bit of a humbling experience for you when when they told you that no you can't you can't really delay this yeah. treatment. Like, yeah. can you say more about that? It, it, it was very humbling because you're you're at that point, especially when your child is sort of changing from living at home, and you know they're off to college. They're they're launching themselves into their own life, and and your role as a mom or dad is is changing. And I I wanted to um, I wanted to at the same time feel like I, you know, up in, for their first few years anyway, it was like everything depended on me and I educated myself and I did research and tried to figure out why were you getting the ear infections, for example, and that kind of thing. And I, oh, thought, when I, was a baby. Yeah. I thought whenever there were problems, I could, I could solve them somehow, or at least put you through to whoever could solve them. And uh, it was just really a big uh, transition to realize I'm, I, you know, 
I, I would love to be able to go on the computer or read or talk to enough people and solve rheumatoid arthritis, you know, for my daughter, but I can't, I, you know, and I just am letting, you know, putting you in the hands of hopefully really capable professionals. And, and that's a big, uh, a big leap for most parents to do, you know, yeah. I hope that makes sense. Oh, it totally does. And it's I think it's even a harder thing now in a way in 2023 versus 2003 because it's hard for people to remember with the internet. It wasn't yeah. as robust. There weren't all no. these different websites no. like Arthritis <laughs> Foundation and no. stuff. It was just kind of like WebMD and really hardly anything. So yeah. like there are, it's like, the, again, another paradox when you have yeah. access to so much more information, but you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you have to... Some, mm-hmm. sometimes be like, okay, the patients are the experts in their own care. And like, quote unquote, I was right about a lot of things yeah. to do with that I was sick. But then I had to say, okay, well, I'm not an expert in rheumatoid right. arthritis. Right. 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 I just learned about this diagnosis, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it is manifested in so many different ways. And, and it's, and there are so many different potential approaches to treating it. And um, it's just a lot of adjusting. I've, I remember when I wanted you to take airborne before oh, yeah. a flight because it in, increases your immune system. And, and then somebody suggested, you know, maybe you don't want to increase your immune system because your immune system is already overactive. And I don't even know if, if that <laughs> applied to airborne, but it was mm-hmm. just that whole mental autoimmune things are kind of, uh, for me at the time anyway, counterintuitive. Right. Yes. Because yeah. you think, oh, everybody wants a better immune <laughs> yeah. system. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There, were, there are just a lot, of, a lot of transitions, a lot of adjustments as a parent. And um, you had a great attitude. You made it easy for oh. me. But, I, but it, it was, it just, yeah, you said it. It was, you know, it was, it was a, lot of, a lot of adjusting. Yeah, was it hard to send me back to Vassar in August of 2003? Because it was so new. The diagnosis was so new. You know, I feel like it should have felt hard, but I, I just never, never worried about you that way. You had, you had, you were always a leader. You were always take charge. You, you, you had a great attitude. I just, I felt, you know, I felt like you, and, and you weren't going off I mean, you were going to an area in which there were medical people, and, yeah, you know, you true. were you were still in college. I mean, mm-hmm. A lot of your life was still, um, you know, kind of made a little bit easier for you, you know, yeah, than yeah. When, you know when you're truly on your own. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I I didn't worry too much. I mean, we talked and emailed all the time. So oh yeah, we have stacks of printed out yeah. emails. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I wish I could access some of those. Yeah. or I wish I, I I had accessed those before, but it's too yeah. much to go through. <laughs> yeah, um, too much literally, just a lot of reading. Um, and so yeah, I and and just to tie up that first, is this kind of like this is the diagnosis story and kind of phase one of my journey, which is that got. You know, we were we reached the pinnacle of the mountain, which was getting a diagnosis. Right. We got a good treatment. The treatment worked, and we came down the mountain, and we're like, done. We submitted <laughs> that. We're done. Yeah. And that's kind of what I thought my life would be for the next sixty years. Yeah. Would be <clears throat> just so stay on the medications, yeah. and then there is a chapter two. Hey, we're leaving them with a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> you know, was a cliffhanger. But I mean, chapter two. Spoiler alert: it gets more complicated because <laughs> the medicines don't always. Your body doesn't always uh, respond to the medicine forever, unfortunately. 
Um, I mean, I have a friend who's been on Embril for 14 years right now, oh. though, you know, and she, that's, that's her journey. And it's just for me, it worked for six <coughs> years and then, then my body created antibodies to it. Yeah. But, um, but <laughs> so this is not to say that it was all sunshine and rainbows afterwards forever, but right. it was kind of sunshine and rainbows. Right. For <clears throat> I mean, kind of remember feeling coming back and people were like, how are you feeling? I know your health was like really bad for yeah. a while. Oh, it's great now. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. yeah. It's great. I got the treatment. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went off the, I went off the anxiety bed after a while. Cause it was just like, oh, I guess I don't, I don't think I need this anymore. Cause yeah. I'm feeling my anxiety was about my health legitimately. And then I got my yeah. health figured out. So my body. Yeah. But then that also reared its head yeah. again later. Anyway, I'm talking too much. But um, I was going to say, um, when if if you have any words of wisdom or encouragement, do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement or advice for parents who it, it, are in your case, whether they have, their child is two years old or 20 or 40 yeah. years old, you know, parents who are kind of in the role of advocate like you were for me yeah. when their child is seems like they're really sick and they're not getting any helpful treatment by the medical system or, uh, or that they, they don't have a diagnosis yeah. yet. Yeah. What, what would you say to them? Well, I guess the most obvious thing is just don't give up and really don't apologize for, for your persistence. Mm-hmm. Um, no. So much of that is so obvious in hindsight that, um, that I wish I'd been more aggressive and uh, on your behalf. And mm-hmm. so definitely don't give up. And I don't know if this is advice or just sort of acknowledging how fortunate we were, but I, I, it really helps if there's two parents involved because, you know, sometimes your dad would, he would have been immersed in, in other stuff all day. And when I tell him what happened and we were all just kind of going around in these circles, he would say, wait a minute, you know, that's yeah. not, like I said earlier, that's not Cheryl, you know, keep, don't, don't fall for that. Go, you know, keep at it, find a different doctor, whatever, whatever. So it really does help if, if there are two parents or two advocates in the child's life or more mm-hmm. that can keep that perspective. Um, yeah. It's easy to get bogged down. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I and, and I think you have been both of you, but I think especially mom is a good role model to me of not being too much of a people pleaser. I guess I just I should say you've called me out yeah. at times on being too much of a people pleaser. You've ha- you've helped me learn to advocate for myself because my default is I don't want to make waves. Right. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I have learned at forty one <coughs> at forty one years old, I'm a lot more assertive. But uh, when I was younger, I definitely no, was very like a deferential to authority. Yeah. And you know, I I felt self confidence. I know that I'm smart. I know that I'm yeah. you know a good person. But I would also be like. Oh, well, that's what the experts said, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. me too. And yeah. yeah, so I think yeah. you've helped me because, yeah. again, it's just so not I know now there's a lot more, I think, of awareness about like patient self-advocacy yeah. and stuff. But back then it was <clears throat> no, I didn't. I didn't think it was very uh, polite, you no, know. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. I I think I will I will agree that I helped you with advocacy, but I think I also uh, was weak in that area when it applied to medical stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I really did just didn't know enough. I, I but I do think it applies across the board, whether it's medical or or, or any other um, aspect of life. You know, be, advocate for yourself. Don't apologize, especially as females. You know, we're socialized mm-hmm. to um, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in my generation to please be people. responsible for other yeah. people's feelings. Yeah, and. Um, it's like so. no one wants to feel sick. Like no yeah. one wants to, yeah. you know, 
feel, uh, yeah, it, and I, I did, I tried one year, I don't know if I ever told you this, this was a few years ago, my New Year's resolution was to not apologize in my medical yeah. appointments, just because I was like, you know, yeah. I, <coughs> Great. Yeah. even if I did do this to myself, okay, people make yeah. mistakes, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to waste any of the time in, in yeah. the medical provider encounter apologizing, unless I actually did something to them, which yeah. is not the case. Um, you know, just, yeah, be, yeah. you know, you have to be a fierce advocate. Yeah. Last question I like to usually end with is, you know, what words of wisdom or encouragement would you say to somebody newly diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis? Um, I would say uh, get as much information as you can, however you can. Um, obviously, Cheryl's program is a good example of that. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid to ask all the questions that you can and don't be afraid of medicine um, you know mm. um, look at all the ramifications and not just the side effects and and talk to people who have have been down that road that's my advice yeah awesome well thank you so much i know it's this is a lot of like kind of a mixed bag of like painful memories to look back <laughs> on i yeah. mean it really is weird that it's half my lifetime ago um and hmm. but it's also um also obviously some good memories and i just i do want to end by just saying how grateful i am to have had you know you both as advocates and as people who believed me you know believed that there was something else going on not just because i said it but just because like dad said earlier because you know me you um, knew that i was this there had to be some explanation yeah. so um it just makes me i i yeah the older i get the more i realize how how lucky i've been to have such a solid like family support and in, when I run the Room to Th Thrive support groups, like a frequent topic of conversation that a lot of people struggle with is their family not believing them. Oh, wow. I mean, and it's so heartbreaking. Oh, they'll, you know, and it's like, those are the first people who should believe you. Yes, you know, they'll say, yes. well, the family's like, well, pff. whether it's someone's own child that doesn't believe them, like an, an adult child, right. or their own, their parents or siblings or close friends or coworkers. I mean, just the f experience of not being believed is really um, deeply, deeply, you know, traumatic yeah. to many people and oh. myself included. I think I'm very sensitive to it now because yeah. of what I went through, yeah. you know, healthcare wise, but um, I've never had to worry about being believed by, you know, by family, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Oh, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yay is right. Well, yeah. thank you again. I know that uh, this is a definitely a different thing that you're not used to being on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate it. And um, and I, I usually also end by saying where you, people can find that you on social media, but you both are not really on social media. So we're not gonna worry about that. But um, if those, who are those people who are just listening and not watching, um, you can, always check out the Arthritis Life website to see a transcript and a link to the video and a link to the show notes. And I will also link in the show notes um, on the episode page to some additional reading about, um, you know, people who've been in a similar situation like that Brain on Fire book. About oh my the woman gosh. Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, um, you know, people were saying she was a hypochondriac and it turns out she had, what was it that she had? Uh, something autoimmune. Auto oh yeah, she had autoimmune, uh, yeah. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, so many good books and articles on this topic. So yeah. you're, if you're in the undiagnosed territory, you're not alone. So thank you so much again, and we'll say bye-bye for now. Okay. Bye. <laughs>
This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.